So all that is left for me to do now is to introduce our speaker this morning. Matthew White, let me tell you, Matt White is, he is a beautiful guy that loves Jesus. And the way that he communicates Jesus, I don't know, it's just, you're kind of hanging on. What's he going to say next? What wisdom is he going to bring? But he has a beautiful way of unpacking the scriptures, making it relevant, and including us all in it. So why don't we give Matt a warm welcome. God bless you, mate. Thank you. I'm often wondering what I'm going to say next as well. <laughs> My wife's often panicking what I'm going to say next. Morning. Uh, my name is Matt. Along with my wife, Christina, and our two kids, we've been part of this church for seven and a half years. And um, I actually went back to look this week because I realized the first time I ever preached here was, a, was in September. And I couldn't remember which one. It was actually six years tomorrow was the first time I ever stood here and preached a sermon in Skylark. And um, it was a privilege then, and it's a privilege now. And I always say it, but I'm always grateful. But it's maybe more important that I say it this morning, because in our theme here of portraits, um, I want to paint a portrait this morning, and I want to paint the portrait of gratitude. I want to talk about a portrait of gratitude. I wrote this sermon back in June, and there was a couple of different reasons for that, but I had no idea when I wrote it that I would be delivering it a day before a state funeral. I had no idea that I would be delivering it at a time when people are queuing for 20 hours to give tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. I don't know how these last 10 days have impacted you. Our relationships with grief can be incredibly personal and complex. Our relationships with the monarchy can be incredibly complex. And so I don't know how this last 10 days has impacted you in whatever way, but there was a moment this week where um, one of the news reporters was standing in that place uh, where Queen Elizabeth lies in state, and he said, it's like an incredible mix of grief and gratitude. I had no idea I'd be speaking about gratitude in this moment in history. And it's also a bit odd because the person that I want to talk about, the, the portrait that I want to paint, is not of a queen or a king. It's not of someone super famous. And even though their story is, is in the Bible, um, we don't even know their name. So there's no way that this person is kind of renowned through history or would have had a state funeral or would have even been celebrated in any way other than the fact they take place and they take part in a story where we hear a little bit about them. You find the story only once. It's in Luke chapter 17. We're going to have a look at it now. Luke chapter 17. I'm reading from the message this morning. I don't often do that, but I really like the way it told this story. So I thought we would have a look at that one this morning. It'll come up on the screen. It happened that it is made his way toward Jerusalem. He crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. They went and while still on their way became clean. One of them, this is the one we're talking about this morning, this is our guy. When he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back. Shouting his gratitude, glorifying God, he kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful, he couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not ten healed. Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? Then he said to him, get up, on your way, your faith has healed and saved you. I'm going to do a couple of things this morning with this story. 
We're going to look a little bit at that man, the guy. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about why I think gratitude matters to Jesus. And then I'm going to try and lay out why if gratitude matters to Jesus, why I think gratitude has the impact that could change the world. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Sounds good? Six years ago, this place was louder. I'm not going to lie to you. Does that, <laughs> don't know what's happened. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Good. Okay, so let's figure this guy out. We know three things about him. We're only going to focus on one, but there are three things that we learn about him in this particular bit of the scripture. Like I say, just those kind of eight verses, that's all we get. But we learned three things. The first is that he has leprosy. The second is that he's a Samaritan. And the third is that he's grateful. And I'm only going to really focus on the third one, but the first two are important to give us some context. So let's look at those really quick. He has leprosy. Now, we might think of leprosy as a skin condition, and that is partly true. But leprosy is a lot more than that. In fact, leprosy, the disease, can cause all sorts of problems to all sorts of parts of our body. It can affect our eyesight, our limbs, nerves, our respiratory system, and our skin. It's a very real disease, and it's also not just an ancient disease. In 2020, over 125,000 cases of leprosy were discovered worldwide. So it's not gone. It's not a kind of an ancient sickness. It's a real thing. But the other thing to know is that when we talk about leprosy in the Bible, it's often a bit of a catch-all term. So leprosy in biblical terms wasn't necessarily the disease leprosy, but any disease that might have affected your skin in any meaningful way. And that means when it says he has leprosy, he might not have had leprosy. He might have had another skin disease. And this is a sidebar, but people sometimes talk to me about how seriously I take the Bible. And I've got to tell you, for me, if you want to take the Bible seriously, reading it and repeating it are a brilliant start, but it's not the whole ballgame. If you want to take the Bible seriously, then I think we have to investigate it. We have to wrestle with it. We have to argue with it. We have to ask questions of it. And we have to ask questions like, does that really mean what it says there? Because when it says leprosy, it might not mean leprosy. And we might want to apply that to a few other things we've read in there as well over the years. To be clear, before Pete and Nikki get an email box full of emails, <laughs> please don't get this twisted, all right? Let me be 100% clear. I believe the Bible has the power to transform lives incredibly. And not just because it transformed mine, but because I've seen it do it time and time and time and time again. But if all you've got is read and repeat, you're making a great start. But don't tell me you're taking the Bible seriously. If we want to be people who take that word seriously, we've got to get into it, we've got to spend time with it, and we've got to ask questions of it, just like Jesus did and just like we've always been meant to do. So, he has leprosy. I'm allowed to do that now. His leprosy. But whatever it actually was, it makes very little difference to him. Because if you had leprosy in this particular period of history, the outcome was the same. You would be sent off to live uh, away from everyone. So away from your family, your friends. You weren't allowed to go to the marketplace. You weren't allowed to go to the temple. You were literally an outsider. You were cast away. In fact, if someone came near you, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, to let them know that they shouldn't get within a certain amount of distance from you. You were effectively ostracized from everything. And the only way to be unostracized, is that the word, English scholars? Disostracized? Unostracized? No one knows. Look, look at you all saying, um, it's one of them. Is it any of them? He must know. I don't know. Like I said, I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth. Unostracized, reostracized, whatever. You had to go to a priest. They had to declare you clean. And then and only then could you be reintegrated into society. But in Matthew and Mark, 
we meet a guy called Simon the leper who has been reintegrated into society. So maybe the label stuck. Maybe the label stuck. So he has leprosy. The second thing we learn about him is he's a Samaritan. I preached about the Good Samaritan at some point in the last six years. I can't remember when. But I spent a long time talking about Samaritans and why there's this kind of thing about them that appears all through Jesus' ministry. And I don't have time to go into it this morning. And so I'll simply say where the first century audience read or heard Samaritan, the word they actually heard was enemy. We hear Samaritan. In the message, Jesus says outsider. Most people would have said enemy. And so what we have is a man ostracized because of his illness, an enemy because of a historical and religious and cultural context that I don't have time to go into, but it's on a podcast somewhere. You're welcome to go and get it. And here he is again outside. And then the third thing we learn about him is that he's grateful. And we know he's grateful because the Bible tells us he's grateful. The Bible says he comes rushing back. He notices and he comes rushing back to Jesus and he cannot be thankful enough, is how the message puts it. He cannot give enough thanks. And not only is he grateful, but Jesus notices. Jesus goes, whoa, you've come back. And not in a kind of a, thank you, yep, you're welcome, off you go. He stops and he notices. He takes the time to go, hold on, you've come back and there were 10 of you, and you're a Samaritan, but you're here giving thanks. So it's not just that he is grateful, it's that Jesus notices and stops And for centuries since, that story has remained. And I wonder if we should stop and notice. Because you see, not only did Jesus notice that gratitude, he was a grateful man in his time on earth. He broke the bread and gave thanks. In John 11, he gives thanks to the Father. This is a guy who, when he lived on this earth, was thankful, 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 thankful. And then when someone is thankful to him, he stops everything and notices. So I don't think you need a PhD in theology to come to the conclusion that gratitude matters to Jesus. So here's my question. Why in 40 years of church services and Christian bookshops and conferences and songs do we have so little material on gratitude? Why could I walk you into a Christian bookshop and find 4,000 books on Christian leadership and maybe 40 on gratitude? Why could I walk you into a Christian bookshop and find 4,000 books on finding your calling I don't even have the time to get into that section this morning. Ask me back to do six weeks on that. But you're going to find a handful on gratitude. Why can I go to conferences that will teach me all sorts of things? And none of these things are bad. Don't mishear me. They're not bad things. But why have we valued so many things so highly and seemingly um, valued gratitude so lowly? Because if gratitude mattered to Jesus, then those of us that claim to follow him, surely gratitude has to matter to us. That doesn't feel like a leap. And I make leaps sometimes. That doesn't feel like one. And so this morning, if that's true, if gratitude really matters to Jesus, then I think we have to take it seriously. Perhaps to the equivalent of perhaps even more than some of our moral crusades, our direct attempts at evangelism, our plans, our models, our missions, our strategy, perhaps even more, because maybe simply adopting a posture of gratitude has the power to make this world more like Christ. And that is the whole ballgame. That is the whole ballgame. So if it's as simple as gratitude, 
Why don't we spend more time thinking about it? So this morning, I want to very quickly talk about that. And I'm not alone. I haven't come up with this. I want to, I want to give full respect and name check to two people who are going to appear on the screen. One is a book. I did find one book. It's a very good book. It's called Grateful by Diana Butler Bass. This blue book, uh, it was written in 2018. Absolutely brilliant book. It's well worth reading. And that book introduced me to this guy who's Professor Robert Emmons. And Robert Emmons is a psychologist who studied gratitude. And uh, he's done a huge amount of work throughout his whole career looking at what gratitude is and why it matters to people. And he came up with this thing called the arc of gratitude. And the arc of gratitude says that gratitude does three different things, A-R-C. It amplifies the good, it rescues us from negativity, and it connects us to each other. It amplifies the good, it rescues us from negativity, and it connects us to each other. And so with that work and this story, I discovered back in June that I think this story, this part of the, this part of the Bible, these eight verses of Scripture, this nameless character, might want to speak to our character here in this place this morning because it's been speaking to mine for about three months now. And so using this arc, I want to look at the story again and suggest three things that gratitude does. Three things that I think gratitude can do for us as a church, for Christian people, and for our cities, this nation, our workplaces, our schools, our colleges, everywhere we are, that I think gratitude can do if we let it. So the first is this. Gratitude opens our eyes. Now, I learned this story when I was in Sunday school, now called Kids Church. Much better name. Nobody wants to go to school on a Sunday. Much better. And if you grew up in the church, you'll have done the same, probably in something called Sunday school, because we had the bad name, not the good name that they get now. Right? So who, who, give me a show of hands. Who learned this story in Sunday school? Good. Okay. Now, now I'm going to ask for some real honesty here. Who, when they learned this story, thought that the story was that Jesus healed them and then sent them to see the priests? Yeah, it's not the story, though, is it? That's not the story. Let's go back to the passage. It tells us that they call out to Jesus, and he sees them, and he notices them, but he sends them to the priest. And then it says, while they were on their way, they were healed. Now, my Sunday school version of that story, I'd never gone back to. So if you'd have asked me to tell that story from scratch, I'd have told you the wrong way around. But this is important. Because what Jesus does is he says to 10 people with leprosy, even though every law in the book says you can't leave here and go to the priest, go to the priest. And so these men get up and they start to go. And then it says, as they were going, they were healed. And then this one, this one notices and comes back. What if gratitude just helps us notice more? What if gratitude just opens our eyes to what's going on around us? Robert Emmons in his arc, he puts it like this. It's a couple of slides on, Josh, if you're there. He says, like a microphone or amplifier, gratitude pumps up the volume on the good in our lives. Or me talking like this. 
Like a microphone or amplifier, gratitude pumps up the volume on the good in our lives. Melody Beattie, the writer, says this, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. That sounds a lot like heaven coming to earth to me. I don't know about you guys. What if gratitude opens our eyes? There's been lots of conjecture over the centuries by theologians about why the other nine didn't come back. We, we, we don't know. Jesus actually asked the question. It's his question. Where are the others? Where are the others? Where have they gone? And people have wondered for a long time why they didn't come back, where they went, what happened, and there's lots of reasons why it might have been. But here's one I want to suggest this morning. What if they just hadn't noticed they'd been healed? What if nine other men got up, started to walk, and then thought, I don't know what this Jesus is playing at, but we can't go anywhere near a priest because we're going to be in serious trouble if we go to the priest like this. What if our guy isn't grateful because he's healed, but he only knows he's healed because he's grateful? What if our guy's eyes are so open in the posture of gratitude that he lives in that he's the first or maybe only one to notice the healing that's taken place? I wonder what I miss when I choose being ungrateful over a posture of gratitude. I wonder what I'm looking for that's actually right in front of me if I just open my eyes and be grateful. Maybe I do have time to talk about God's calling for your life. I wonder if we stopped asking God to tell us what we're called to and just being grateful that we're here at all, we might discover some more of our calling. I wonder what would happen if we lived with our eyes so open to the gratitude of all that is around us. I wonder what we might see that we haven't seen before. Gratitude opens our eyes. The second thing is this. Gratitude turns off entitlement. One of my favorite shows when I was growing up as a kid was The Simpsons. Uh, I just loved it. I absolutely adored it. And one of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite episodes, is when they invite Mr. Burns, Homer's boss, around to their house. And uh, in a, don't know why they chose this moment to do this, but they say to Bart, trying to show off to the boss, Bart, would you like to say grace? And Bart says this, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And they close their eyes. He says, dear God, we pay for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> oh, how we laugh at Bart Simpson, but oh, how we live like this every day. Let's think about post-pandemic. How many months did we sit in our house longing to go to cafes and restaurants, longing to go out and have another flat white, longing to go out and have another great meal, longing to go out and do all those things? And what did we do when we got it? Let me tell you what we did. Tips are down, complaints are up. That's what we did. We walked back into cafes and restaurants and we went, we've missed this, we deserve this, do better. On the radio just a few weeks ago, there was a, a lady who works in hospitality who told the story of being screamed in her face for 10 minutes because she'd brought the wrong ice cream. Tips down, complaints up, entitlement through the roof. We deserve this. We miss this. We should be here. This should be perfect for us. What about church? How many Sundays did we fire up that flaming Zoom, turn on YouTube and go, oh... I know I want to do this, but I really don't want to do this. I just want to be here. And what did we do when we came back? 
Did we go, this is awesome, we're so grateful we're back, or did we go, well, it's not like before, or it's a bit like before, or I wish it was more like before, I wish it wasn't so much like before. Which, which camp are you in? Six years in, I can say what I like. <laughs> Within reason. Is entitlement why I can fill these rows with grown-ups why our kids' team is short? Is entitlement while they're short stretched to their limits right now with not, literally not enough people? Because we didn't get to do this for two years, so we should get to do this for the next two years? Is that why Laura needs 10 more adults to step up and start to lead Kids Church? But we have to sit here because we didn't get to do this, so we deserve this. Service down, complaints up, entitlement through the roof. Preaching to myself, church, not you, promise. Promise. You have my hand on my heart for that one. We need 10 more people up in that kids' church to make it work. We can fill these rows with grown-ups who at least 10 of whom could do some help up there. Diana Butler-Bass in her book says this about gratitude and entitlement. And if you want to be punched in the gut, you should have seen my face the first time I ever read this. Ingratitude is a perpetual state of dissatisfaction. Ingratitude is about what we do not have what we feel we deserve, what we can never get, or what keeps us from our rightful part of the pie. Ingratitude makes us entitled. I deserve it. I'm owed it. I should have it. I should get it. Gratitude says, I already have everything I need, and maybe I have something to give. I've already got enough. Maybe there's some way I can give back. I have been served. Now it's time to serve. That's what gratitude does. And what about when it doesn't go our way? What about whenever we don't get to go back? What about whenever the results don't come the right way? Or it doesn't go how we'd hoped? Or we don't get that job? Or that thing we'd hoped and prayed and dreamed for is not coming our way? What about then? Can we be ungrateful then? Well, the Dutch theologian Henri Nouwen doesn't think so. Because he says this, To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy. But to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Because gratitude turns off entitlement. And I don't know about you, but I imagine this church, my house, my office, the school that my kids go to, the city that we live in, this nation would be a heck of a lot better if we turned off a little bit of entitlement. Because you see, gratitude matters to Jesus, and so it should matter to those who follow Jesus. The final one is this. And I recognize after where we've been for the last few years, this one might feel like a bit left field even by my standards, but gratitude makes us contagious. I've told this story before, but about 10 years ago, myself and some friends, John Mitson was there. We were out for dinner with a, a wonderful Christian gentleman called Peter. Peter actually very sadly uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, I grew up in the Salvation Army. We don't say passed away. We say promoted to glory. That's better, right? I'm keeping that one. Peter was promoted to glory. He took us to the Angel on Broomfield Road. And 
if you've been in Chelmsford a while, you'll remember there was a couple of different um, pubs in Chelmsford where, um, that were all run by the same chain. And the Angel on Broomfield Road was one of them. And they were pretty normal as an experience, bar one thing, because you'd go in, you'd get your table, you would go and order your food at the bar, and then you'd sit down, and they would bring your food. So far, so normal. But then what they would do is they would go and send one member of staff, often the smallest, to go and get this tray of sauces. And when I say tray of sauces, if you imagine the wheel of a cart that would pull, that a horse would pull, it was like that big. And when I say sauces, if you imagine any sauce you can imagine, like imagine you're in the Willy Wonka factory of sauces, they would bring it. And so picture the scene that you're sitting with your food in front of you and you're ready to go. And then this poor, often small soul would come staggering to your table, carrying every sauce the world has ever known. And of course, then you're in a dilemma because even if you want sauce, you know that taking one sauce off this tray could imbalance everything. But it's an extra dilemma because if you're in a group of people, you don't all want to go at once. So then you're torn. Do we go one by one for balance, but then they're left holding it for longer? Or do we all go at once and hope they can just kind of juggle the whole thing back into being? That was how the angel on Broomfield Road used to serve you sauces. And so we're having dinner with Peter this night, and our food arrives. And Peter and John and the three other people we're with were, were sitting around this table, and Peter says, let's say grace. And he gives thanks for the food. And then he starts to give thanks for each one of us. And he starts to give thanks for the circumstances that have brought us together. And he starts to give thanks for the meeting that we're about to have over this food together as we talk about opportunities for all of us to start to live out more of what we believe we're here for. He was such a good and godly man. And he started to call out all this stuff over us, one by one. And this grace is going and going and going. And eventually he says, amen. And we say, amen. And we look to our right and a poor soul with a giant tray goes, Amen. Now, I don't know whether he was just grateful that prayer was over <laughs> or whether gratitude makes us contagious because that guy got to hear an awful lot of thankfulness in that prayer. He got to hear an awful lot of thankfulness in that prayer. Robert Emmons says this about gratitude. He calls it the moral cement, the all-purpose glue the emotional spackle that squeezes into the cracks between people, strengthening and solidifying these relationships. Without gratitude, we'd be in relational ruin. Organizations, families, societies would crumble. I think gratitude makes us contagious. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to live in a more grateful world. And if I'm right about the fact that gratitude matters to Jesus, and if I'm right about the fact that if we want to be great followers of Jesus, then we could start with gratitude, then what a simple way to start to see this world become more like him. We spend so much time thinking about how to make this world more Christ-like. What if we're just going about it wrong? What if the simple act of turning up in a world that actually is often more grateful than we give it credit for and just started living gratefully, what if that might make this world more Christ-like? What if the simple act of changing our posture was enough to change the world? Would you take it? Or would you still want 4,000 books on Christian leadership, 4,000 books on finding your specific calling, and 10 conferences every year about something else? 
What if it's as simple as a change in our posture that says we're going to be more grateful and people are going to see our grateful and like a guy with a tray that just wants it to be over, go, I'm grateful too. Because that gratitude could make us contagious and in doing so we could make this world more like Christ. The Benedictine monks, David Steindl Rast, put it like this. If you're grateful, you're not fearful. And if you're not fearful, you're not violent. If you're grateful, you act out of a sense of enough and not a sense of scarcity, and you are willing to share. If you are grateful, you are enjoying the differences between people, and you are respectful to everybody. And that changes this par pyramid. Difficult one for me. Give me another chance at it. This power pyramid (laughs) under which we live. Isn't that what we're here to do? Isn't that what we're here to do? To change this power pyramid under which we live? If you're grateful, you're not fearful. If you're fearful, you're not violent. Doesn't that sound like the sort of city you want to live in? Doesn't that sound like the sort of news you want to turn on? Doesn't that sound like the sort of house you want to grow up in on a Saturday morning? (laughs) Where we share? Where we're not fearful? Where we respect each other's differences? Where we don't all have to think the same or act the same or worship the same way or sing the same song like Nikki spoke about just a few weeks ago? Where we can be in a church like this that can be literally and metaphorically broad? This is a broad church. But we can be broad enough for our differences. We can be broad enough to welcome those who don't look like us, but maybe teach us a thing or two about being grateful. Because gratitude makes us contagious, and if we're contagious, we better get ready for an influx of people who want to live like we live, and then we're going to learn to live how they live. That's how it works, because we start to share, we start to learn, we start to grow. And we're not fearful, and we're not violent, and we're not disrespectful, and we learn to live with our differences. That sounds like heaven, and we're meant to bring it to earth. And so that's a portrait of gratitude. Six years, I've never done a kind of a come-to-the-front prayer response, and that's not changing this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Let me be clear. I have had my life changed in those moments. It's just not what I do. Those moments are powerful and helpful and life-changing, and I can point you to some of my life that have completely broken me and allowed me to rebuild in the way that was better. They're just not what I do. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to spend five minutes, five minutes working out how we can be more grateful. And there's a couple of things I want to suggest, but you can do it however you choose. But it might be as simple as turning to that person next to you and saying, thank you for those things you don't say thank you for enough. Maybe your husband, your wife, your parent, someone that you come to church with every week and they just don't know. You've never told them how important it is that they keep that seat for you every Sunday. You've never had the chance to say thank you. Or maybe you want to get your phone out and you want to text someone and just go, I just want to say thanks because I've assumed for a long time that you know how grateful I am for that thing you did or that thing you do or the person that you are or the way you impact my life. Take out your phone and get a bit weird. Make them feel a bit weird and awkward this Sunday morning. Come on. Pick the weirdest, most awkward person you know. I know exactly who it would be. Pick the weirdest, most awkward person you know and say thank you. Let's start to see if this is true, that gratitude opens our eyes, that gratitude turns off our entitlement, and gratitude makes us contagious. Let's start to be more grateful. And if you don't want to do that, well, here's another option. Why don't you get out your phone, and in your notes section, write down three things you're grateful for today, and stick today's date on it. 
and then see how many days you can do. 30 days from now, 60 days from now, six years from now, I want someone walking up to me and going, Matt, that day in September, I started writing three grateful things, and I'm still doing it, and I'm going to go, I'm really sorry, I'm rubbish at stuff like that, so I haven't, but wow, maybe that's the way that's going to help you become a more grateful person. Or maybe when all of this morning is said and done, and we've sung our final song, and we've said our final prayer, maybe you're going to go upstairs and find a woman called Laura who runs our kids' team. And you're going to be one of the 10 people that we need to take a grateful act and to give up a couple of times every few months sitting here to serve up there. We need 10. Maybe that's how you're going to show your gratitude this morning. So you've got five minutes. I'm not even going to bring the keyboard back up. I'm going to make it super awkward for all of us. <laughs> We're all in this together. So you've got five minutes, then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hand back.
Heavenly Father, may these murmurs of gratitude become an avalanche of gratefulness into our city this week. May these whispers of gratitude become a wave of gratitude and gratefulness and thank you that just washes over every person we come into contact with over the next seven days. Lord, like the man in the story whose name we don't know, we rush back to you with gratefulness for all that you have given us. But that isn't enough, God, because we then have to rush into a world with gratefulness all over our faces. Lord, if you value this gratitude, then those of us that choose to follow you must do the same. And so we ask you forgive us for the time we've lived with entitlement. You'd ask us to forgive us for the times when we've been ungrateful people. Lord, hear our hearts as we, we say we're truly sorry. But hear our hearts as we say we want to do better. So may this simple change in our posture from a story of eight verses make an impactful change in our world that can't even be measured. Lord, we are yours, and we are grateful for that. But as yours, we also want to be grateful with that. And so send us into this world as a people filled with gratitude who run to say thank you and just can't do it enough. Because I believe when we do that, God, we will have our eyes open to the goodness all around us. We will see an end to our entitlement that wants to rob us of joy, and we will become contagious in the way that people see your gratefulness through us and start to live the same way. Oh Lord, this is so simple. So help us make it so real this week. In your precious name we pray. Amen.